everybody, and welcome to another episode of Half Ashed. My name is Craig Schneider, and that gentleman, 1,850 miles southeast of me, is none other than the man, the myth, the fisher, Mr. Kip. How are you, sir? I'm all right, I reckon. How about yourself? I am fantastic for the 164th and a half time this June 23rd of 2017. I can say that with honesty. And a half. Mm Mm-hmm. And a half. I'm never going to forget it because it happened. (laughs) It happened like three times before we got there, man. It's like two-thirds, I think. (laughs) But Google doesn't believe that it did, but I don't care. Google's a liar. Google doesn't lie. Google knows everything about you. Yeah, oh geez. I, we got Starbucks after us. We got Google after us. Uh, I think I'm going to get hit with a lightning bolt in my basement now. Those two companies have got enough power to do that, I'm sure. Yeah, it would not surprise me. I could come up with many <laughs> conspiracy theories about the Google. All I need to do now is say how much I don't like my uh, three-year-old iPhone. And uh, I'll get the big three after me, and you, I'll never even come out of my basement. <laughs> I, I, I swear, he went down to do his show, officer. I don't know what happened to him. <sighs> but thankfully, or not thankfully, if you guys like listening to Kip more than me, we are here, we are recording, and uh, we are happy to be doing so. It is the first time in a long time, my man. Yes, it is. I mean, we we did a show in between, but we didn't really do a show. We had a hangout with the guys who showed up for the night in the chat room. Yeah, kind of a uh, if we were uh, uh, a Patreon subscriber, it would be kind of one of those those uh, shows for the loyal listeners who have contributed so much to Half Ashed over the years. Kind of their private little hangout, but uh, in <laughs> fact, it was. It was something shared with everyone, so I guess it wasn't like that, was it? <laughs> it was exactly like that, except in no particular aspect. Except the opposite. Yeah, well. <laughs> oh, well. It, uh, it It is fantastic to be here this evening, and I am happy, very happy, not just happy, I am very happy to be smoking a cigar, recording a show, looking at a very dear friend and uh, getting ready to, to chat the night away. How about that? See? Hey. So what's new and exciting? How's, uh, how's the Dominican Republic in summer? Good. Actually, uh, the, the nights have been remarkably comfortable this week, oh. which is a nice, nice, nice break from the previous three, four weeks. Uh, yeah, my goodness. I can't imagine you guys get very many days that you can describe the weather as beautiful. In the summer, no. In the winter, yes. Well, I uh, <clears throat> I will take my Midwest summer, the 85 during the day and 70, but muggy at night. I will take that over the Dominican Republic any day, I think. But well, maybe not Until any day. Maybe November maybe not January. Along. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe not January. <laughs> it's actually it's 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 not any more hot here than it was in Florida or or Tennessee for that matter. It's just 
hot for much more of the year. <laughs> and have it's they the ever same. Had we, 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 as we have moved progressively further south over the years, we moved to Florida and we're like, huh, it is n not nearly so hot in central Florida as it was in Knoxville, Tennessee, because Knoxville, Tennessee is miserably hot in the summertime. But it's just that it was summer where we lived in Florida for most of the year. We had like two weeks of, you know, a frost or two here and there, and that was it. It was comfortable for a a month either side of that and then hot the rest of the year. And it's kind of the same way here. It's never cold unless you go to the mountains like I do, where it does in <laughs> fact get cold. <laughs> For the audio listeners to the podcast, Kip had the biggest crap eaten grin on his face right there. <laughs> like I do. And he points to himself. Yeah. Uh, Man, right, even right now, it, 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 it can be terribly hot here in Santiago, but you go up you know, 3,500 feet or so, and it is very comfortable and breezy all day long. You smoke cigars up there? I have at times. Are they, uh, have, you ever times. Noticed that, have you ever noticed that they smoke differently than when you're a flatlander? I don't want to answer that question because I've spent my entire adult life saying that cigars smoked so differently at altitude in Tennessee. And my claim was that it was the altitude. But when you ask me that question here, I can't think of any that any times in the mountains where I thought, you know, this is just way different after Oops. 20 years of preaching that. I've not. The thought has not even crossed my mind in the last two years of living here. <laughs> okay, well, glad I uh, completely threw your life into a tizzy there. Sorry, you, you did. I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> well, so it'll be like any other day that ends in Y. <laughs> That's true. Uh oh, well, ah, my headphones falling apart. My uh, my headphone is not, and I'm going to use it to tell you that I somehow screwed up our Cigar of the Week this evening. I uh, Now, this Cigar of the Week has been a cigar that we've been trying to make our Cigar of the Week for at least three shows. <laughs> yeah, which is, what, eight, ten years at, at our, our normal pace. <laughs> I, uh, I have a feeling that when we get around to publishing all these, I'm going to say, you know, the next one that comes out is going to be like, on this second day of February 2017, <laughs> because we just haven't done a show in two months, and then we're two, two shows behind that getting them out, and before you know it, I'm going to be a year ahead. Yeah, you, you will have lapped yourself. <laughs> well, I, uh, I will take the blame for this one somehow. I had not even given a thought to what Cigar of the Week we were smoking because I just assumed it was the one that we had had preloaded, um, that we had planned on doing when I was in Colorado, that we had planned on doing before I was in Colorado. Um, uh, but, in fact, I had taken the wrong cigar with me to Colorado and not even noticed it until tonight when we got on the live stream and I looked at the cigar that Kip had, and it was different from the one that I had. So 
Uh, he is smoking tonight's Cigar of the Week, which just so happens to be the Psycho 7 Maduro, which I will let him talk about in just a moment. And I am smoking my very first, I believe it's my first, though now I'm questioning that in my head. Uh, hell, it doesn't matter. They don't know what's going on in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I am smoking my very first Romacraft Neanderthal. Uh, and I have to say, I put it off for at probably two years. I've had this for a very long time because I have been scared to death of lighting up what is supposed to be this incredibly strong, robust, full-bodied cigar. And uh, it has turned out to be much more approachable than I thought. So do you want to talk a touch about that psycho? And I can get into the uh, the Neanderthal here afterwards. Sure. I can do that. I am movie flexible. <laughs> well, as Craig alluded to, I am smoking the Psycho 7 Maduro, which has been out for a couple of years now. Uh, it's from William Ventura, uh, the makers of the original non-Maduro Psycho. And for those of you catching the video feed, they come with this ginormous band wrapped around I'm smoking the Robusto, and this thing covered, good grief, two-thirds of the cigar because um, it actually was even turned uh, diagonally. So you can see if I still had the band on there, it would be on fire at the moment. <laughs> but it was a follow-up to the original Psycho 7, uh, as I mentioned. And I actually got these from William Ventura about the time we moved out of the country. So... That's going to put them at about two years uh, of age on them at the moment, uh, <laughs> ish, give or take a month or so. And um, I put in the notes. I had a good go with the original line, which is true. I remember I enjoyed them, but they they were not something that was available at any stores, and so they, for whatever reason, fell off the radar in a short amount of time. No, well, not for whatever reason, because there were no stores that had them uh, near me. Um, and so I smoked a couple of these Maduros when they sent them originally. And, and I guess to be a little bit frank, I, I don't remember them standing out as something that really caught my attention and Hey, this is a delightful cigar, but I did want to have it as a show cigar. I just didn't imagine it would take us a couple of years to get to it. <laughs> 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 um, so uh, yeah, I said in the notes I was expecting them to come up sooner, and but they didn't. So yeah. tonight we're going to find out how they're holding up. Um, the on online description has a little bit of detail about the blend, actually a pretty specific amount uh, of information about the, the blend. Um, it says... The Psycho 7 Maduro is graced with a deliciously dark and oily San Andreas Maduro wrapper, concealing the Ecuador Hybrid 151 binder and Nicaraguan Ligero, Peruvian Pelo de Oro, Dominican Hybrid, uh, which doesn't seem to tell you much about the tobacco. It's a Dominican Hybrid. Uh, Honduran Olancha and Pennsylvania Ligero Long Filler. So that is a pretty wide-ranging mix of tobaccos in the filler for this thing. Um, and all all of those tobaccos, by the way, are actually spelled out on the, the this giant band, which happens to look a lot like a prescription. 
Uh, I thought it looked like a a modern scroll. (laughs) Yeah, you do need the handles and kind of twist it a little at a time to read the thing. (laughs) Yeah. All of those those tobacco varietals are listed on here. Um, So there is tobacco from Mexico, Ecuador, Nicaragua, Peru, Honduras, Dominican Republic, and the USA. So there are seven countries represented in this cigar. (laughs) That's crazy. It is. Little slivers of leaves. Yeah. And there's always a danger. I'm impressed when a cigar has that that magnitude, that that big a variety of tobacco in it that still smokes well, mm-hmm. because a lot of times it just becomes muddled. You know, it's like taking your box of crayons and coloring in the same circle with every one of them. It's just a wadded mess of brownish black gray goop. By the time you're done, it's just you know too muddled. So it, it is impressive to me when something smokes well that has a crazy number of tobaccos in them. Well, I am, uh, I am, I don't want to say I'm notorious, but I have been known to poo poo that idea a little bit more. Um, I shouldn't say a little bit more because I don't want to imply that you're poo pooing the idea. I have been known to poo-poo the idea, independent of whatever Kip's thought is. How's that? Um, (laughs) Could could you you say poo-poo one more time? (laughs) (laughs) And the the reason for me is because I think that there's so much inherent value in in these tobaccos. So Mike Stewart, um, who we have talked about time and time again, Stu Muse, guy who blends his own cigars, rolls his own cigars, rolls his own uh, sushi. He's he's uh, been talked about many a time on this show before. He uh, has a blend that he calls the C2. Um, even on the half episode. <laughs> even on the half episode, we've talked about the guy. And uh, one of the things that he has shown me, and one of the examples was the C2, uh, was that you can put few tobaccos into a cigar just a couple tobaccos and you have an unbelievable complexity that can come from that if you get legitimate Corojo tobacco quality Corojo tobacco grown in the Dominican Republic or grown in Nicaragua I am an absolute believer that 90% of cigar smokers could smoke a cigar with that one leaf and mistake it for being a blend because a single leaf from a single origin can have that much complexity. So when you throw this much together, your analogy of the the uh, trying to color a little circle with eight different color crayons is wonderful. You can you, you can almost see nothing but a jumbled blob of color rather than being able to <clears throat> rather than being able to grab specific elements of that bundle of color. You know, you, you can't see the blues and see the pinks and see the reds. You just see kind of a bluish, purpley, pinkish thing. It doesn't come through. It's clouded. And so I am much more probably on the side of, of uh, a minimalistic design approach to putting together a blend. Um, so I, I, I probably am, shall I say, happy that I'm not smoking that. 
because I might have a little bit of a negative connotation already in my mind uh, before I even lit it up. I, I just think you lose a lot. You can, absolutely. Let me ask you this, and I, and I don't want to tie this to tonight's cigar because there are plenty of makers who have half a dozen or more. Alec Bradley has the, the uh, what's that once a year thing they do? And it's like 10 fine or 11. Yeah, you know, the fine and rare always has 10 or 11 tobaccos in it. So plenty of people do that. But you got to wonder. Liga Pravada. If you have a cigar and, and, and there are 10 tobaccos in it, there's no way there's a really significant portion of some of those tobaccos. You know, you got to wonder, are they doing the old trick with, the, well, we have pre-revolution Cuban tobacco and we put it in here and well, there's like, yeah. you know, three little particles of dust they sprinkle into the pillar <laughs> of each one, you know, is sure there, there's, you know, on a molecular level, there's some of that tobacco in there, but it doesn't mean it's going to mean anything in the smoking. Uh, you were going to ask me something. Um, well, do you think there's some some piece of that that equation that plays into the marketing to say, well, we got 18 tobaccos in this, and some of those are just, you know, a little sliver of a piece of a side of a leaf just to say we got one more tobacco in there. It really doesn't mean anything to the blend. And I'm not asking specifically this cigar. I'm saying it. What are the chances in general you think really that blend is influenced heavily by three of those tobaccos? The others are just there so we can put it on a band. You know, I, I don't think there's a huge chance. Um, what I do think is that the analogy that's been shared with me before by a manufacturer of one of these cigars that's got a half a dozen filler leaves in a blend um, is that uh, they ask me if I like flour, uh, all-purpose flour alone, and if I like raw eggs alone, and if I like baking powder alone. But do I like all-purpose flour, raw eggs, baking powder, sugar, butter, chocolate chips all thrown together? Well, yeah, of course I do. So you, you hear that analogy kind of as a as a response to the idea that I'm sharing where I don't feel as if you're getting um, a true representation of a lot of those individual parts. And I, that's what I, I never really notice that you put these seven or 10 or 13 tobaccos together and it turns into this harmonious single flavor that comes together and is terrific. I don't notice that with most of these heavily blended cigars. And it's entirely possible it's because I don't have a, a sophisticated enough palate. But more than likely, it's because that just doesn't happen. You don't, you don't add A plus B and get C in the cigar world in a lot of instances. I shouldn't say that. You don't add A to B to C to D to E to F to G to H and get Z in the cigar world. Not in my experiences. Right. And, and what I was getting at is, is tobacco H in that cigar you just – concocted does it really matter if you took that out who, who are there people that's going to notice if you know in your in your cookie recipe well you know it didn't it it only had 
eight ingredients. I really want to make a cookie that has nine ingredients. So I'm going to put three grains of salt in there. Now it has salt in it and I got my nine ingredients, but it really doesn't matter for what the cookie tastes like. It's a great analogy. And I think you're right. I, I think that if those are in there, some of those, probably the more expensive, older or rarer ones, uh, are there to put a name on a band maybe, or a description on a box right, or a, and, a, a bit of font on a press release. Yeah. And again, I'm not, throwing stones at tonight, tonight's cigar. This is just ramblings of a broken mind. I, uh, I've read that book before, I think. <laughs> I wrote that book before. <laughs> well, I, I, there's certainly some, some interesting ones on uh, the recipe list, shall I say. The Pennsylvania Lajero. I've talked in the past about being a big lover of Pennsylvania Broadleaf. And there's not too many tobaccos grown in Pennsylvania that are used for premium cigars that I know of. Uh, I have talked in the past kind of with um, oh, uh, uh, an air of mysticism about Palo de Oro. Uh, that is in this. You know, it's, it's interesting to see some of these, these kind of cachet names on there. But I would love to be able to have somebody who really knew tobacco who could open that cigar up, take out the leaf of Palo de Oro, roll it back together and say, does this smoke like this one that I haven't touched? And my guess is it's going to smoke almost exactly the same, except maybe a half a ring gauge thinner. Yeah. 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 And that, that still again goes back to the uh, capabilities of the blender. Right. Did they really sit and iron out a blend that has 11 components in it? Or did they make a blend that has four and figure out a way to get the others in there without impacting it too much? You know what it kind of gets into a little bit? Um, we, have asked, we have asked manufacturers in the past, uh, Joe Blow Manufacturer, your cigar XYZ, did you set out to create a flavor or did you start playing with tobacco and run with something that started uh, to strike your fancy? It kind of makes that question a whole lot more intriguing. Did someone say, oh, I want to end up with a cigar that tastes like this? Or did they start throwing a bunch of crap together and say, oh, this is interesting. I can market this. How did, how did this cigar with these very unique tobaccos come together? Chicken or the egg? Right. I, and this with added complexity is a little bit more of an interesting take on that to me. Yeah, and I've seen cigar makers, cigar blenders on both sides of this fence where some would promote the notion that we worked for 14 months and spent countless hours and smoked hundreds of different, you know, puritos trying to put this blend together. And others that would say that is absolutely ridiculous. If you knew anything about tobacco, it would take you a week to figure this out. <laughs> you know, we have basic guidelines. There's no reason to reinvent the wheel on every blend. Yeah, yeah, you know, there's two sides of that coin, and both, I'm sure, would argue their way is better. Yeah, I, uh, I'm sure you're right, and uh, boy, I, I really did not have an intention of sounding like a uh, an old curmudgeon tonight. I mean, that's that wasn't my goal with kind of expressing my skepticism or perhaps fatigue with this idea, but. Uh, 
it just without being um too jaded it just doesn't maybe the easiest way to put it is that it just doesn't seem necessary i think there are so many people who just really are interested in smoking a spectacular cigar and if that's two tobaccos or if it's 12 i don't know if it makes a huge difference uh am i a small minority it's entirely possible you know uh, cuban cigar manufacturers for many 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 decades dozens of decades in some cases have had extremely successful cigars that have been marketed and packaged a very specific way and then lo and behold 2003 the cabinet of cigars, the half wheel of 50 cigars in Cuba stopped being unbanded. And after 2003, every single one of them had bands on them. Why did they start putting bands on them? Didn't change how the cigar tasted. It was the, the exact same cigar, but did they do it because people wanted that little bit fancier, little bit nicer looking thing over the cigar that just smoked great on its own? Maybe there's something to that. Maybe people really do want this flashy story. I, I don't know. But that's just not me. I want something that I know is going to be freaking fantastic. Before we recorded tonight, when we were just chatting, I had mentioned that uh, I had spent some time with a manufacturer. Well, I don't need to, to hide this. I'm going to talk about it later on. Um, I uh, shared a cigar and an interesting conversation with Terry Johnson of T.L. Johnson Cigars. Um, uh, he gave me one of his, well, he gave me a number of his counselor cigars. It was unbanded, no cellophane, came out of his incredibly densely packed cigar caddy, kind of a little bit, you know, a, a, a chipped foot, not the prettiest uh, uh, example because it had just been riding around in that caddy for probably longer than it should have been. That's the best cigar I've smoked all year. It, it, and it, it, it had no story. It was just Terry saying, hey, I know you've been looking to try one of these counselors. No band, no story, kind of ugly, but it was freaking amazing. Yeah. And so I enjoyed it, and I'm talking about it, and I'm looking forward to smoking more of them. And I, I, I want to share that, and I want other people to have it, and I want people to realize that Terry's got an ability to put out a cigar that is not just great, but it's upper echelon quality and unique and construction. There's nothing negative that I can say about that cigar, period. There's yeah. nothing negative. That's what's great to yep. me. In hillbilly car hobbyist circles, there's a saying. There's, you know, there are guys that would go to they have their cars shined up and 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 coated with chrome from here to eternity and then there's other guys that are like chrome don't get you home <laughs> you know you can have all the chrome <laughs> you want but it's a, if it's not a decent engine it's not going to carry you back home tonight my uh my thoughts exactly uh, on a uh i guess on a, a little bit more of a uh speed freak mentality but along those same lines I got a buddy of mine who has got a 69 Camaro. A 69 Camaro that runs seven second, high seven quarter miles, street legal. Wow. Street street legal, seatbelts. He can put his kids in that car. <laughs> Could put his kids in that car. 
and nobody ever knew that that's what that cigar was, or that's a cigar. That's what that car was. It's just he had it where it counted, and that's what I want with my cigar. And that's what he wanted with his Camaro. He had it where it counted. That's it's just that's awesome. I love Camaros. My dad had a '68. Oh yeah, sold it when I was too little. Still a little bit angry about that. <laughs> my, uh, my 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 first car was a '78 Camaro. Oh, I hated those late '70s Camaros. Their eyeball, their <laughs> headlights looked like eyeballs sticking out of their head. Uh, those were the earlier '70s. They kind of squared them off by the late '70s. Was the '78? Was that the one that uh, ended up turning into the uh, uh, the first? No, not the first C28. The first uh, uh, IROC Z. It was the precursor to the IROC. Uh, no, I think IROC was even before that. I thought the first IROC Z was 1983, but I might be wrong for the 25th anniversary. Uh, you may be right. No, I don't know. 15th anniversary. I don't know. doesn't matter. This is not a, this uh, is not a car matter. podcast. I know even less about cars than yeah. cars. Same here. All I know is if, if it starts and I climb into it, I'm happy. Hey, Kip, Chrome, don't get you home. Just remember that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm driving a 15-year-old piece of crap pickup truck. I'm just hoping it gets me from point A to B every time I get in it. Yeah, I don't know what your bigger problem is, the 15-year-old pickup truck or the 50-year-old gravel road up the mountain? <laughs> gravel. <laughs> <laughs> And I think my point has been solidified. <laughs> yeah. That road is actually in better shape right now than it has been in the last year and a half. It's still not good. Oh. We don't have to drive over boulders anymore. They've at least gotten most of the big rocks out of the road. Well, but, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Shall I, uh, shall I talk a little bit about this Neanderthal before it... Uh, Knocks me senseless and makes me start speaking incoherent gibberish. It's going to knock you over the head and drag you to the cave by your hair. I think it might. Yeah. I. Uh, so this is my first Neanderthal, and you're not in my head to hear me question that again. Um, excuse me. Uh, this is a cigar that is notoriously strong. Um but my initial impression on it was that it might have been a cigar that was perhaps overblown, that it wasn't too terribly strong, that people had just talked about it being strong, and so many people had heard that it was strong that they just thought that it was. Well, I'm halfway through it, and the room is spinning. So perhaps it is that strong. Um, it's... It's a, a, a beautiful size, 5 by 56 but it is not a Robusto. It is a slight Figurado, a very flat head on it, no shoulder to the, to the cigar whatsoever, nearly a 90-degree angle from the head down uh, to the straight sides. Um, and then probably about three-quarters of an inch from the foot, it tapers in just slightly. Um, so probably to a 48 or a 50 at the head excuse me, at the foot, and at its widest, it's a 56. So it's a very minimized 
uh, Figurado. Beautiful, beautiful Colorado wrapper on it with some nice uh, oil. A really good example of what hard flavors can be in a cigar. I would, I would dump a box of these out at the table at Casa Fernandez and say, if you want to make a strong cigar that has flavor first, emulate this. Because this is a cigar that doesn't burn your throat, but it's strong, and you know it's there, and it has those same hard flavors. And I believe I either heard Kip fall over, or I heard him squeal when I said that. <laughs> yeah, why well, gotta be Casa Fernandez? Man, because Casa Fernandez rolls up asphalt and tells you to light it on fire and swallow death. Uh, no counting for taste. <laughs> no, I I am uh, I am very well documented as to not being a uh, an Agonorsa Casa Fernandez fanboy. It is too strong for me. I am sure there are very many people out there who. Uh, can tolerate it and are more masculine than I am. But that being said, this is a very strong cigar and it has incredible qualities that I don't understand why you wouldn't follow this blueprint rather than the uh, aforementioned. I consider myself to be a world-class nicotine wimp. I get whipped by a lot of cigars, but I love me some Casa Fernandez. And tramp stamps, too, by the way. <laughs> I was watching the video when you said that, and you bobbed your head from left to right. <laughs> and tramp stamps, too, by the way. <laughs> ah, fun times. Hey, you fun. know what I just realized? What's that? I don't have any rum. I am drinking the hard stuff, straight water. That's exactly the same here. Just water. Water, water. Well, this this uh, wrapper on this cigar is a San Andres um, rolled over inner tobaccos that I do not know all the specifics of. Um, I know that it's got a broadleaf binder to it and that the filler is from a number of different countries. But beyond that, I, I don't really know. Uh, Skip Martin is all over the place if you have any sense of... Uh, <clears throat> the online cigar world, so you can certainly track this down. Highly recommended if you're somebody who enjoys a very flavorful cigar, doesn't mind strength as long as it doesn't come accompanied by an overwhelming uh, sense that your mouth has been lit on fire with the foot of the cigar. Yeah. I'm with you. Well, I'm going to throw out just a couple of things about this Psycho 7 Maduro, mainly because I am half or more through this cigar already because I lit it while we were talking before the show and we got a little carried away and spent more extra time talking than I had imagined we would. <laughs> um, I, actually, when I read the, the, the um, description given online that it was a deliciously dark and oily San Andreas Maduro wrapper, the San Andreas, I buy. The Maduro, I buy. The oily, mm. Uh, th this is, to me, very dry wrapper. Very dry. Uh, there's, it's, there's no sheen to it. There's no oily feel. Nonetheless, it's very good. I actually am enjoying it more than I would have imagined, more than I remembered, certainly more than it sounds like you think you would have. Um, 
like I said, I'm halfway through. It's been very sweet. And as um, uh, counterintuitive as it sounds, it has almost a predominant cedar kind of flavor that's still sweet some in some kind of way. And I, that is something I find in the Fuente 858 Sun Growns, which are on my list of smoking this past week. Um, that sweetness still accompanied by some cedar. And a lot of people don't necessarily put those together. It matters how people perceive cedar. Well, you know, cedar itself is very astringent and bitter, but its impact on a cigar that's been stored in a cedar sleeve or whatever can be a little sweeter. And that's really what I have gotten as, you know, being predominant in this cigar so far. Um, it has behaved spectacularly. Uh, I don't even think I've really even touched it up. Um, maybe I did once just kind of hit the wrapper a little bit, but I get the, the draw, the burn, everything's fantastic. An enjoyable flavor. I don't, don't, recall what the price point is on these i think they were fairly inexpensive somewhere around six or 650 uh, us uh, for a robusto which i think is is more than fair in today's market so i would buy these at this point don't know that i would you know spend a, a week trying to search them out because i don't even know a place at the moment that sells them but if i came across them i wouldn't hesitate to buy a few and and enjoy the crap out of them. The huh. halfway point. I'm very impressed to hear that. I am impressed by hearing that. Excuse me. Yeah, I, I, I'm impressed smoking it. And William Ventura used to make a fair number of the Caldwell cigars, which I enjoyed. Um, but I think a big part of their production goes to Ventura Ventura, which is kind of an arm of Phillips and King. I don't know who else familiar with Phillips and King. They're a major uh, distributor for cigars, a wholesale distributor uh, out of California. And they had a line called Project 805, I believe, which featured Andujo uh, tobacco, which is really cool. And I got a picture of some Andujo recently, by the way. Um, hmm. It's kind of a neat thing. That tobacco, I'll stray because there's not just a whole ton of stories tonight, and and straying is what I do. Um, Anduyo, or locally pronounced Andujo, is a, is tobacco that's raised predominantly in the countryside around the Dominican Republic. And it may be any number of different tobaccos. The Andujo part is actually how they store it for fermentation and holding until it's ready. They huh. ha have these woven tubes like uh, palm frond woven tubes that are six, seven feet long, maybe and five inches or so in diameter. And they stuff the tobacco into these tubes and bind it really tight. They wrap a rope tight as can be throughout its length and compress it. And it actually creates a, a an almost pungent tobacco that is reminiscent of Perique, which is made in Louisiana and mostly used in uh, native spirit or American spirit 
uh, cigarettes these days, but historically has been a big component, a condiment component in pipe tobaccos. Um, but I happened to see this because my friend Nick's dad came down for a visit a few weeks ago, and we took him over and did the tour at uh, La Aurora, which is a, a good good way to spend the afternoon just by the way. Um, but anyway, I noticed a couple of these tubes of Andujo all in one of their rooms, and I asked about it, and he said it's in the, AD, <laughs> the ADN, which is the DNA in English. Um, that's a cigar that they have put out that's, uh, I believe it's only marketed here. I do not believe it is being shipped to the U S and I don't believe there's any plans to, um, it's, it's DNA comes from the fact that it's very Dominican in its makeup and, and it has Andujo in it. And I, I did not know that until the, the tour guide told me that's what that was for, mm. uh, but it's not used. <laughs> I get a couple of different stories on this this particular tobacco. When Project 805 came out, it had this it had Andujo, and it was hyped and marketed as this very rare, little used tobacco. It's hard to come by. It was a a strong marketing point for that cigar. And then I was talking to people here locally, and they're like, "Yeah, that's the like really cheap tobacco you buy in the compo. You just." <laughs> They, they have that tube and you tell them I want a couple of ounces and they just like cut it off and you stuff it in a pipe and smoke it. Huh? Okay. And then since then I've had a guy tell me, Oh, it's very expensive. It's very expensive tobacco. So I don't know. I see, you know, a couple of places that have had it and it was not that expensive. And you do indeed, you tell the guy about how much you want and he kind of rolls it back out of the tube and cuts it off and that, and, and you buy it. I happen to like it. Some people have not. It's kind of, it does lend a good dose of sweetness to a blend, and it is almost um, by itself, outside of a blend, just by itself. It has a very pungent horse stall kind of aroma to it, and it lends a good bit of sweetness to the blend, and I happen to like it. Is it, it? But it is a polarizing tobacco. Is it something that you can use so sparingly that it's only, it's just a slight accent to an otherwise, like this Neanderthal. I would not say this Neanderthal was an overly sweet cigar at all. At all. I, I would not describe it as being sweet. But it's hard flavors that are balanced enough to where they, they're not overpoweringly strong or overpoweringly hard. If you were to put a little bit of that tobacco in there and just kind of <clears throat> an accent is a great way of describing it. Accent it with a little mm -hmm. sweetness. Is it something that could maybe give an otherwise very savory cigar just a, a bit more balance on the sweet side, a little bit more of a softer flavor, or is it overpowering to where it's going to taste like putting licorice in your ice cream? You know, is it just going to no. be like, that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 no. It, it is uh, in pipe tobaccos, what I would call a condiment tobacco is, you know, a few percentage points of the blend are, it, it lends something positive to the blend. But if you just smoked it straight or half and half or something like that, it would probably be disgusting to the, mo the majority of people, I unless you're Aleister Crowley. The <laughs> Aleister Crowley was, you know who that is, was. I, I, I do not. 
Uh, he was a British occultist a hundred years or so ago. Spent his honeymoon in Tutstone kind of guy. <laughs> okay. His favorite uh, alleged purported favored pipe tobacco was straight Perique soaked in rum, which sounds absolutely horrid. It sounds like the worst thing you could ever dream up to <laughs> do to pipe for yourself. But I guess that's what he liked. But I've never met another person who really liked to tolerate more than five or ten percent perique in a blend. You know, maybe crazy upper limit twenty percent, and that's 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 ridiculous numbers for me. Most Virginia blends that that take some perique are you know three percent, five percent, something like that. It, it's a condiment. It's not something that is going to be the foundation even of a blend. It's just something that works hopefully in harmony with what else you got in there. Huh. It's, uh, it sounds like the sort of thing that when put in the right blend could be absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And I stopped short of that. Uh, I've talked so good about the cigar. It's gone out, but it's not the cigar's fault. It's because I was yakking my trap. Um, but I don't know that I've had a cigar with Andujo, and I have not had very many because it's not commonly used in cigars, but I don't know that I've had one that I would say, oh, this is absolutely spectacular. You have got to smoke this. Huh. Okay, but that's if I can interesting. Get, get around to someplace before we head to the States in a couple of weeks, I will pick up a couple of the, the DNAs and send them your way. Maybe we'll smoke them on the show see what they're all about i would appreciate that that would be kind of fun to have just a a total different funky experience i would like that yeah i have not smoked it yet so i can't you know i can't say anything about it i don't know anything about that cigar firsthand just yet well i uh i can't expect you to be an expert without you know knowing but uh let's give it a whirl normally i can just make it up but i'll forego that for tonight (laughs) Oh, I know you can, you lying son of a. <laughs> <clears throat> well, shall we uh, perhaps carry on our evening fun and uh, jump into a little bit of news and whatever else might come of it? Claro que sí. Well, I think it's just about time. Yeah, well, there's only, we only have a few little items on the, the list of stories tonight, which... Kind of works out nicely since we have pontificated for most of an hour already. Yeah. But uh, first and foremost, probably in many folks' mind, is our current president, uh, President Trump, has announced changes to the former President Obama's changes toward travel and trade with Cuba, um, which probably caught the notice of a fair number of cigar-smoking travelers. There are rum-drinking travelers as well and various other Cuban products. Um, but to be honest, I don't think there's a great deal of specifics just yet on what those changes may be. No changes have been issued, final, this is done, this is what we're doing. Basically, it was an announcement to say there will be an announcement of what the changes are. The changes are coming. So presumably some of the... Uh, there are changes that were previously made to kind of loosen 
the uh, the governing standards and governing rules about travel to Cuba and bringing Cuban goods back, trading with Cuba, that kind of thing. That, uh, as we all know, and we've talked about here on the show for what two, three years now, two couple of years anyway. Um, some of those, yeah, some of those will be walked back, I imagine. Uh, we don't yet know what this means for the average Joe on the street outside of some speculation and expectation. Um, at the moment, nothing has changed. Uh, everything's the same as it was when uh, when the current president took office. Um, but it's going to happen sometime in the days and weeks and months to come. And what it is is yet to be seen. But the speculation is that there will be some retightening of what's allowable in terms of traveling to Cuba, uh, what's allowable in terms of bringing products back into the U.S. from Cuba, whether it's third third party country travel or direct travel, which was a one of those intermediate steps to, from from the former days to where we got where we are today. Um, so. My presumption, this is totally speculation just based on the chatter I have seen floating around, is that we will probably go back to the days when there, there can be some travel to Cuba, but it's going to be, you can't just be traveling. You can't just take a vacation to Cuba as an American citizen, legally anyway. You, there may be some restrictions. You know, In the past, you had to be uh, a part of some uh, journalism, journalism or humanitarian. Yeah. Uh, you know, there were just a handful of reasons uh, that you were granted permission to travel there. I imagine that's going to tighten back up a little bit. Uh, I don't really know what's going to happen with the uh, with trading with Cuba uh, on a personal level. I don't know. You know, at the moment, you can leave the country. You can come back with a hundred Cuban cigars, as long as the value is under eight hundred dollars. Then you don't even have to pay duties on it. Um, I don't know what that's going to look like once these changes come down, but you know, something I guess we're going to see in the days ahead. Yeah, there's there's um, there's been some chatter about this, and I, I'm not nearly connected politically enough to have an understanding of what is coming down the pipeline. So uh, I will caveat what I'm about to say much the way that you did. These are my own opinions and thoughts on it. I have, I have heard some people say that a couple of the big hallmarks are, 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 are past for Cuba. Fidel Castro has died. He is, he is no longer around and in any position of power. Yes, his brother is the president of the country, but Fidel Castro was the figurehead for the revolution and for communist Cuba. He is gone. That is that is one thing that kind of changes the stakes a little bit from where things were, even when the first major reduction of um, terms of the embargo were put into fruition after the late 2014 um, uh, meetings between the United States, Cuba, Canada, and the Vatican. So from there, um, we have Castro no longer in power. We also have Cuban citizens able to own businesses. So those are two things that 
that are much more prominent or much more valid today than even when Helms-Burton Act in the 90s was put into fruition, and obviously much more so than when um, the uh, embargo tightened and was originally um, started back in 62. So we have these other aspects here. We also have a number of things that uh, President Obama put into effect not only did he start to allow you to be able to bring back a certain amount of goods from Cuba late in his presidency, I am also almost certain that you could now acquire Cuban goods in other countries legally, which was legal for the very first time in decades. Right. And that was the intermediate step was you had to be traveling directly to and from Cuba. And then, Subsequently, that was loosened more that you could bring them from third-party countries. It was identical to any other country that you were bringing in. Follow our country's import requirements, pay duties when necessary, like you would for any other country. Yeah, and and you know, that got me cranked up a little bit because of all the, the makers losing their mind about bringing Cuban goods back in as if it was somehow worse than bringing him from another country. And I'm not talking the politics of the Castro regime. I'm th- they were behaving as if you can bring Cuban cigars in. That's ruining us. That's unfair competition. That how can you, well, no, the rules are exactly the same. If they're Nicaraguan cigars or they're Dominican cigars or the Honduran cigars, the Cuban cigars just now have the same rules for importation on a personal level. <laughs> In fact, they're more restrictive because you cannot import them commercially still. Anyway. No, I, I, and I'm glad you prefaced all that by saying it has nothing to do with the political scheme because in my mind, I had a vision of Frank Herrera having dialed six of your seven phone number digits. (laughs) (laughs) And then like, oh, okay. As long as it's not going to factor that in. Um, No, I, I'm, I'm very much of the frame of mind in business that in order to succeed, you focus on your own brand and what you can do and not worrying about your competition, not trying to outdo them or downplay them one way or another. Um, You do you and you do it well and you let your product stand on its own against anyone. Um, That sounds like a commercial. Is it a commercial? You do you and then a Mountain Dew thing. Uh, do Mountain Dew, isn't it? I don't know. It's oh. Completely irrelevant. I don't know. <laughs> um, it, so my point is to those manufacturers, it's kind of a grow up, dude. You you make a good product. One, have confidence in it. Two, don't worry about the other guy. And three, have you not been around in the digital age for 15 years when Cuban cigars have been as easily sourceable to your customers as your cigars are to your customers. I, I, I mean, I could, I could go to cigarsinternational.com and buy that Psycho 7, or I could go to cigarsofabanos.com and buy a Cuban Partius. I find a cigar, I make a purchase, I wait for it to arrive. doesn't matter what country it's from, it's been the same for 15, 16 years. And... I've also heard manufacturers talk out of both sides of their mouth. They say, well, if the FDA goes in, I don't have to register all my products. I'll sell them online to European companies. And, hey, 
if someone buys it from a European manufacturer or uh, from a European uh, retailer and it gets shipped to the United States, I don't have anything to do with that. It's not my problem. It's that retailer's perspective, not mine. What's well, the same sort of thing? You can't talk out of both sides of your mouth and and be upset that that product is available or that it could be brought into the country. And then also kind of rely on that same method as a way to skirt current regulations from the FDA. I mean, it's one of the other guys and I I hear a lot of whining and it it just bums me out. I I, I don't know. I, I took that down a tangent, but it just is grow up folks. I don't know. I, I I just don't like it. You know, Every time I see my video tonight, I think of Walter from the the, uh, the Big Lebowski. <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, that's clever. <clears throat> that made me laugh. I, I get distracted. That, so I'm sorry. Laugh. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> Yeah, so there, there's a whole lot of uh, there's a whole lot of speculation going around, but we do know that something will come down the pipes. Um, quite frankly, uh, also continuing in my own thoughts, my own opinion, I think this administration has a lot bigger fish to fry than trying to roll back um, regulations on an incredibly small, incredibly unimportant country's commerce. Uh, to the United States of America. I don't know if it's something that's going to be a large priority or be used as as um, a talking point and or a an example. I, it just doesn't seem prudent with as much as going on as is. But I could be wrong. Which means it's probably the number one priority at the moment. Well, you're you're... You're playing with fire by making a comment like that, I think. But uh, that is Kip at halfashed.com. Hey, I pick fun of both sides of the aisle. Oh, I know you do. I know you do. But logic for internet trolls is not something that applies very well. We have had a few of them, Kip, and you know as well as I do that you can absolutely hear from them for a comment like that. Yeah. Kip at (laughs) halfashed.com. You know, I have power to edit the audio. I can just put your name right in there. (laughs) It'll be Craig at (laughs) halfashed.com. Or just turn forwarding on my email and you can take them all. Uh, I can forward ah, it to yes. your half-assed email, your Gmail. I can, I can copy everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you're you're going to report your own website for spamming you. <laughs> uh, Ernesto Perez Carrillo Cigars <laughs> is teaming up with General Cigar again. <laughs> Uh, I don't mean to jump in. Sorry. Uh, all right. Do we uh, do we have anything else to kind of finish up on that one? Where do we stand? I think we have sufficiently beaten that dead horse. Uh, I think we may have even resurrected a dead horse since technically mm-hmm. there is not a news story there and we just covered 15 minutes. 
we we announced that an announcement was made that there will be an announcement of changes to policies. That is absolutely what we did, actually. <laughs> uh, and on that note, you're going to talk about EPC, and I'm getting rum. I'll be right back. Okay. Well, everybody, as Greg has mentioned just moments ago, uh, Ernesto Carrillo, EP Carrillo, is teaming up with General Cigar uh, again, actually. And for those who may not remember, Ernesto's family uh, owned the uh, La, Glor La Gloria Cubana uh, mark for many, many years, for decades, if I remember right. And he sold the company to, to he sold uh, La Gloria Cubana to General late 90s, early 2000-ish. Um, and was largely out of the picture. Once he had worked through a few years with General, he parted ways and founded his own mark, E.P. Uh, Carrillo. And then along about, I think that was in 2008, 2009, somewhere around there, he parted with them. And then back in 2014-ish, um, he partnered up with General uh, again, after being gone for quite some time, uh, specifically, I think with Michael Giannini, right? Was in the, I believe two of that them was on correct. Reunited, which we actually smoked on the show back on episode 69. Um, and they collaborated on that. That was kind of a short lived thing. I can't recall if it was a limited edition or if it just was something they made and, and it's time came and went. Um, but it's not something I see on the shelf, so I imagine those are gone forever. Uh, and that's been a couple, three years ago or so. Uh, but this time, unlike the Reunited, the Reunited was made by General, but the blend was a collaboration between Michael Giannetti and Ernesto Carrillo. Um, this time around, Ernesto will be having the cigars made at his factory here in Santiago, La Alianza, uh, the Alliance. Uh, factory where he makes the EP Rio marks that most all of us are likely familiar with. Um, but it will be a regular production, so it's not going to planned to be uh, limited in scope or time anyway. It will be ongoing regular production. Vitolas, uh, 5x54 Robusto, 6x54 Torpedo, and a 7.5x54 Presidente. Um, it's going to feature an Ecuadorian Sumatran wrapper over Nicaraguan binder and fillers. So, what do you think about this? this is going to be something like the E.P. Carrillo or the La Gloria Cubana of the olden days, pre-general days? you think it's going to be that kind of blend, or you think it's going to be more like EPC stuff now or more like something general does now? What, what do you think this is going to look like? I don't know, because my first thought on this is that EPC is in a really dangerous neighborhood. Do you <clears throat> do you prop up the brand name that you created and popularized, but now own no part of, and do you do you elevate that again for someone else, or do you do something completely different? But for some reason, you're doing it with someone else rather than doing something completely different for yourself. So I, I don't, 
it's kind of like walking on thin ice here. I don't know how he's going to benefit from this. What is he trying to do? The reunited was was playing around with a buddy of his. So now what is it? I don't know, except, uh, I mean, it seemed, I, I don't know. I certainly wouldn't call it a trend, but it's not unheard of these days to see similar partnerships. AJ Fernandez done it a couple of times now with Monte Cristo. I've got another Monte Cristo coming out. I mean, there's, it's not unheard of, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what the benefit is. I, I certainly don't know what their arrangement is, uh, you know, in a business sense. But I got nothing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I can't pinpoint this either. But <clears throat> I don't know. It, it's interesting to see. Um, primarily, it's interesting to see because I think that it could be, it could be a chance for him to do exactly as you say, and maybe he's the only one that knows that original Lagloria blend, and so he's going to give it one more shot. Um, it, it could also be that he's he's just wanting to do that one last thing that he never finished with Lagoria, and that's what this is going to be. And he wants it to be <clears throat> he wants it to be under that name. There, there's a lot of different things here. It, it it could be pretty cool, but it also could be just another cigar. So I'm uh, I, I, I'm how do I say this? I'm intrigued, but not having anything to do with wanting to smoke the cigar. I'm intrigued because I don't know what's trying to be accomplished. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. Did you uh, ever happen to smoke any of the uh, pre-general sale uh, La Gloria Cubanas? Yeah, but I was so very much the guy who said, I like my cigars to be natural, and I don't love Maduro, and I don't love overly strong cigars. So much more so then than I am now even mm-hmm. that uh, I, I was not a I was not even close to being a fanboy of that so I I, I don't think that I'm really um, I don't think that I'm really an honest judge of this uh, if I was to smoke this now and say yeah that that reminds me a lot of what those were because I don't have a memory of it I just know of it yeah that's kind of where I am except I, I did smoke a fair number of them um, but my cigar smoking at that time was 100% uninformed. I knew nothing about cigars. <laughs> Not that I know much more today, but back in the mid and late 90s, I worked at Phillips Magnavox, and uh, the facility I was at was sold to a local group of investors because Phillips Magnavox wanted to get out of television cabinetry. <laughs> But anyway, we bought lumber from a guy out of um, Statesville, North Carolina. And his name was Mike Dodick. And this guy knew that I smoked cigars. And every time he would come over, he would bring me a handful of cigars. And I remember vividly him coming in one day and saying, you've got to smoke these cigars. And they were La Gloria Cubana. And he's like, There's, I, he would stop at JR Cigars <clears throat> in North Carolina huh. on his way over. And he's like, yeah, the, the there was a dude there. He's had like all these cigars selling them out of the trunk of his car when nobody knew anything about them. And, and so he had bought these things and fell in love and he brought them to me. And I really liked them, but 
for the life of me, I wouldn't have a clue what one smoked like even at the time. I remember that I liked them, but not much else besides that. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I would say I have a, a an identical takeaway, except I was on the opposite end of the spectrum. I, I didn't love them. So it was it was yet again that other uh, uneventful, I don't know, unlasting is probably a better memory of it. Yeah. You know, there were guys that knew cigars back then, but it was the boom right after the cigar boom. And so everybody and their brother smoking cigars. Nobody knows much about them. Nobody knew blend components. They knew wrappers by it, whether it was light in color or dark in color. And nothing, oh, yeah. it didn't really go much deeper than that. Well, that's why I said natural. I, I said that because Wait, that, was, uh, that was the point. That I, I'm was talking. The point. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about consumers. I'm not talking about, you know, the old tobacco guys that knew what they were doing. I'm talking about Johnny on the street goes into a cigar shop to buy cigars. We knew nothing. I know nothing. Oh no! Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. I know nothing. Never mind. <laughs> well, so once again, we've talked about a story and don't have a whole lot of insight. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Thanks for selling us so uh, so well off there, buddy. No, you know I'm teasing. Oh, of maybe. Course. No, no, really. kind of, a little bit, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> No, I, uh, I, I, I'm interested in this. I'm very interested. I'm very intrigued by this, but, uh, like so many other things, it's, it's not going to cause me to run out and, uh, buy a whole bunch cause I want to smoke them. This no, is... but you know, you know what? No, there is, there is something there that influences me. I do enjoy quite a number of EP Carrillo products. I just do. Not that New Wave Connecticut. I didn't care for that at all, despite what the rest of the world thought. But anyway, <laughs> the majority of EP Carrillo's products on the market today, I enjoy. I will smoke. You are going to be such a good crotchety bastard someday. <laughs> someday. In the middle of a story. <laughs> Not those. I didn't like those. Nope, no. Nope. <laughs> okay. They don't know what's in your head. It's cool, Kip. Don't worry yeah. about it. Too much, too many details. <laughs> now, having said all that about EP Carrillo, I don't necessarily, with a growing number of exceptions, but I don't necessarily feel that way about general. I will try these cigars just because EP Carrillo is involved because Ernesto is involved because I know I like a lot of his products. It will be a bigger draw to me. If they had said, we're putting out a new La Gloria Cubana, it's going to be wonderful, it's magical, is this or that, chances are I may never have tried it. But the fact that I know he's got a hand in it, a real hand of manufacturing and probably blending, I will try him just for that. And maybe maybe I'll love it. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But that it that is a an advantage from from this guy. That's an advantage that goes to general because I will buy a general product just because I want to try it because of that. So can I uh, revise my thought about what Ernie's getting out of this or what he's doing it for? 
Okay. General approached him and said, this is one of those cigars that's going to be around. It's grandfathered in. Mm. Uh, this being La Gloria Cubana. Uh-huh. Here's $500,000. We need you to make people give a crap about LGC again because we're going to shrink our product offerings. La Gloria is going to be one that's going to be around. And we want you to be associated with this so people remember La Gloria. And so that way it's kind of boosted again in the future because <laughs> we're heavily investing. And he said, okay, where do I sign the check? Uh-huh. And you think... Oh, there was any mention of, oh, and by the way, the cutoff date is February of 2007, and EP Carrillo didn't form as a company till 2009. You think maybe that has something to do with it? I don't know. I'm just asking what you think. That absolutely answers every question. <laughs> maybe not correctly, but it's an answer. <laughs> oh, it, it, that's very true. I, I, of course, we're speculating. We're. We're we're not even cigar bloggers, Kip. We're a level below <laughs> cigar bloggers in our TDA's uh, or IPCPR's perspective. We're the guys who are too lazy to write the blog. We just talk. Okay, we're even less important. So yes, of course that is just a, a an answer that means nothing, but it also is an answer that provides a logical conclusion to every one of the questions that we've posed. Do we have to put on tinfoil hats or anything? No, if it takes too long. <laughs> no, it, it 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 just makes a lot of sense. LaGloria benefit I'm sorry. General benefits because LaGloria has been around forever and ever, amen. And it's one of those names. And it's not owned by uh, how is this? Where am I going with this? LaGloria Cubana. I don't believe was a pre-revolution Cuban cigar brand. So it started after the Cuban revolution. Therefore, La Gloria Cubana could survive theoretically, and most likely it could survive a court case to try to determine who actually owns that marca. It is very likely that General sees this. They're trying to prop up that brand and make it one of their cornerstones with Macanudo, which is also a non-Cuban controlled cigar brand that that really could carry them on to having a thriving business in this century. They need Ernesto Perez Carrillo to restart that because right now it's just another um, <clears throat> offering in the dozens and dozens that General has. And Ernie says, what am I going to do? Because I'm not grandfathered in on anything, and I need to secure my financial wherewithal. I'm not an old guy. I'm 70 years old. I want to be around another 20 years, and I want to leave something for my kids. I need a little bit more of a nest egg. It works on so many levels. La Gloria is one of those highly, highly sought-after brands because it means everything when all of this stuff with the embargo goes away. The embargo is not still on because we have political differences with this country. Why do we trade with Vietnam? Why do we care about China so much, these other communist countries? The embargo is not on because of communism and because of terrorism and any of these other hot-button items in today's political climate. The embargo is on because there are trillions of dollars 
that are on the table that multiple people are claiming. And no one knows how to handle the financial ramifications of eliminating the embargo and moving forward with normalized relations. La Gloria Cubana sidesteps that. Hmm. So that's that makes a hell of a lot of sense to me. That was worth the price of admission tonight. Oh, well, thank you. Well, let's just hope I'm right. <laughs> well, speaking of Cornerstone Brands and Marks, yeah. what do you think about the next story? I is, think we've talked this, about this topic many times in the past. Yeah, this topic has been talked about both randomly as well as in a very focused manner. And I think that it is really interesting. And I got to admit, you are the first one to reveal this to me. Um, I, I'm, I am intrigued. Yeah. Well, since we have talked all around it and not said anything meaningful, I will spill the beans. Not spill the beans. I mean, these beans have been spilt all across the great wide interwebs because this came out uh, via email to retailers and has been reported on by all of the uh, cigar news outlets. But uh, come here in well, in a week, week from tomorrow, I suppose. Um, several of Tatawahe's lines will be not unavailable, but less available. The um, Ambos Mundos, El Triunfador. La Casita Criolla and La Riqueza are going to be uh, pulled from the price list, but still available. They're going to be off list, um, not going to be kept in large chunks of inventory in stateside distributorships. Um, going, they will be available in small batches and at some you know, events, and I imagine there will be a sampler or 12 come out. Tatawahe is likes to do samplers in, in recent days, but uh, it appears these lines have um, some geographically limited market share where there are some markets where they're strong, they, they perform strongly, and many where they don't. To truly love two of these lines, the uh, Triumphador and La Riqueza, I, I adore those lines uh, and I, going back to the dog watch days I remember with Bob and Dale talking about these lines and why why they didn't you know stand up and stand out they weren't necessarily as publicly branded as Tatawahe as maybe some of their other lines and you know their old old front marks that Tatawahe has has owns in the marketplace so to speak uh, where they revive an old line and make enough each year to keep trademark active in the American market. Um, but they're going to be scaled back, so they're going to be less prominent, I suppose. Um, as said publicly, that these these markas, these the front marks are important to them, and they're not going away. They're just not going to be keeping the same level of availability so it, it, it was interesting to me uh, the ambos mundos i thought in, in the tampa market that's pretty strong they're, they're, those seem to move off shelves fairly quickly um the others maybe less so they're there and i see 
people buy them. I saw people buy them. I knew people that smoked them, but but it's not like uh, you know the brown label Tatawahes or yeah. or the Havana or any of those others. But I don't know. I, I guess we'll see what shakes out. Yeah, you know, it's um, there's a part of me that sees this and is a little sad. And the reason why I I think it's a little sad is because I think that Pete has, over the years, how do I put this, lost some interest or his interest has been changed in the cigar industry. And so there's a part of me that's a little afraid of this, that this might be another change. This might be a little bit less passion. This might be a little bit less love for the industry. He's not going to try to shoehorn in what he wants and what he knows is a great cigar. He's going to kind of be resigned to the fate that, well, this isn't really working. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to market it. It is what it is. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a little bit sad. I, I don't, I don't know if I, it's, oh gosh, what do I want to say? I don't know if I'm putting way too much in this or what, but quite frankly, it just comes across to me as a, I get it. We can all still find it, but there was a reason why Pete came out with all these cigars. And so to see them get rolled back is maybe more significant to me. um, Nostalgia wise than anything else. I wish we all, were as interested in these really enjoyable cigars um, as he once was, and maybe as he still is, who knows. But the Ambos Mundos, the El Triunfador, and the La Riqueza are breathtakingly beautiful cigars. Breathtakingly beautiful. The, the La Riqueza, I have overlooked that cigar for so very long. And earlier in the year, I had a just a beautiful version of it that reminded me of why it it really does mean the riches, not just the name, but the blend. You smoke it, and it is so rich. Um, Casita Criolla, Criolla uh, we have a very avid listener of ours who loves that cigar. Um, and I have not had spectacular experience with it, but I'm not the biggest broadleaf fanboy. That is a fully broadleaf cigar that I'm surprised didn't really live up to the hype with a lot of people. I don't know why either. Uh, Pete really Pete really made a name for himself using Broadleaf. And so this all Broadleaf version, I expected to always be one of his bestsellers, and it just never was. So it, it's, it's a little bit sad to me. Uh, maybe it shouldn't be, but I don't know. It's, uh, it's just an odd, slightly unfortunate situation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of there with you. If you remember a few years ago, I don't know, it had to be four or five years ago now. I think this took place right before Dog Watch went off the air. Um, they switched the packaging up, went to 10 count boxes for La Riqueza and El Triunfador. Um, I, I thought at the time to kind of put some pep into that brand where people may be a little more willing to take a chance on a 10 count box than a 20 or 25. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the uh, 
what the the numbers look like for how these move around the country. Well, I uh, you say in here, um, uh, it appears and doesn't seem to be a secret that some of these lines have been pretty geographically limited. I have heard that for years, absolutely, um, to the point where specific stores I have heard are huge uh, outlets for certain versions of these cigars. So <clears throat> that to me says that with uh, the right marketing or the right sales pitch and the right representation behind them, they can succeed. Um, that's kind of where my, my fright comes in or my fear comes in. I don't think that the Northeast is really filled with people who have a palate that is more in tune with the El Triumfador blend than exactly. other places in the country. That That isn't the case. Somehow, uh, someone sold that well. Right. On, on a macro level, I don't think people's palates are that fine-tuned from one location to the next that mm -hmm. they would have that strong a preference without external inputs from sales reps or brokers or whoever. I think that right. that influence has a great deal of impact on what what moves where. You know, it, it's kind of the foundation of sales. Totally right. <clears throat> totally right. Hence the reason why it's slightly sad for me. It almost feels as if it's the concession. But yeah, hopefully I'm wrong. Yeah, we'll see. Yes, we Vamos. will. Vamos a ver. All right, let's move on. Yeah, because it's already after 1130. Yeah, My it, time. Is. it is late. You have nothing in here that you've smoked. It's been like a couple of years since we made a show. You surely <laughs> smoked something. I certainly have. Um, first and foremost, I have talked about the uh, the counselor. Um, T.L. Johnson Cigars counselor. And I think the counselor might be not a T.L. Johnson brand. I think it might be a counselor cigars just under the T.L. Johnson umbrella. Is that correct? Wait, say that again? Uh, I do not believe that the counselor is a T.L. Johnson branded cigar and the counselor is the name of the cigar. I think that it is a separate brand. Like it, it is. Yeah, I think you're right. It, it, I mean, okay. it is owned by T.L. Johnson, but it's. I don't believe it says T.L. Johnson on the band. That's that's the point I'm making. Um, <clears throat> that line, that blend, is scrumptious, <laughs> to use a very uh, a, a very low key, um, really, really, just a. How can I? How can I speak directly to the listener to let you know that this isn't a cigar review? This isn't a shill. This is me being a guy. I smoke cigars, and that cigar is freaking spectacular. I I just want to make that clear on the simplest level that I was blown away. Um, now, as I smoked more of this cigar, I realized I couldn't just smoke it as uh, an enjoyment 
an experience of enjoyment. I had to smoke it because it was so good when I wasn't even trying to really focus on it. I realized I better pay attention to this so I can almost do a little miniature review here. Um, and quite frankly, that cigar has a finish to it. And when I say finish, I don't mean after you've ex- exhaled the cigar, the flavor left in your mouth. I mean a finish as in that cigar, the blend, the tobacco, it almost seems as if it was finished, air quotes around that, like the the betune that we've talked about, that there is betune on that cigar that has a flavor to it. It has such a strong cherry, like natural Bing cherry flavor and aroma to it that there's part of me that thinks, my God, there's got to be something here that is giving this thing more flavor. And it's not. It's not a flavored cigar. It's just it almost comes across as if there's a bam, smack you in your face, unbelievable amount of this fruity sweetness that goes along with a beautiful core of tobacco-centric flavors. Um, I, I'm just blown away by how it was. It caught me on on a moment when I was driving to an appointment at work. I lit it up just as a, hey, I've got an hour and 10-minute drive. I want an accompaniment. It's a beautiful day. I can have the windows open, too. I got to have the windows closed. I got to focus on this. I'm going to get in the right lane on the highway, drive the speed limit, put it on cruise, so that way I can devote as much attention to the cigar as possible rather than completely the opposite. It was that great of an experience. Yeah. I have tracked with this blend since since its inception. It's been through a number of iterations. And every time Terry comes to town, he gives me a call. and I go over and I try the, the latest version. And, and this one that you're that you smoked is the final version to the best of my knowledge. So well, it's been good all along every time. And I think I said more like plum or grape than cherry when I smoked it. But yeah, it definitely had a, a fruity kind of flavor to it. Uh, less than two weeks. Terry will be down. He's coming down. I believe the Thursday after the fourth. Yeah. I'll be in the States. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Duh. Um, well, too bad. (laughs) No, I, I, uh, I loved this cigar. I am I'm half tempted to reach out to him before he goes back down to the Dominican and ask him if I can get some of these, get more of these. They (laughs) were that enjoyable. Yeah. And I don't, I don't do that. I don't ask for pre-release cigars ever. I don't think I've ever done it. Um, but I might now. Excellent. <laughs> hmm. Well, well, so I, mean, I had that, um, and I did have a couple others too. So you can uh, get into some of yours, and then I'll circle back. Okay. Well, I had, I got a couple on here, three, I guess. But last year, I went to IPCPR because. I had some leftover hotel points and yada, yada, and it just worked out. And Joe Voss, who is an Oliva rep out west, 
gave me a handful of cigars, and one of them was a 2009 Oliva Serie V Maduro, because he knows from day one when I was really disappointed with a bad run of those cigars. My my beloved, much adored Serie V Maduros. I, I got some. I got into some that I had troubles with. And he, every year since then, has given me some. And he gave me a 2009 uh, Serie V Maduro. And it has sat staring at me, begging to be smoked for the year since. And in a uh, grand gesture of don't die and leave your best cigars behind, I lit that thing up this week, being the only remaining Serie V Maduro that I had. And, man, it was everything I ever loved about that cigar. It, It was... You know, toasty and 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 uh, flavors that without any of the sharpness <clears throat> that some people don't appreciate. I know Zedman, uh, who was in the chat room earlier. I think he's popped out now, but uh, I know he sometimes <laughs> doesn't care for them. They're a little much for him. Had none of that sharpness that he would not have enjoyed. The thing has just come to fruition beautifully over the past eight years and and it made me made me appreciate the line that much more wow i uh i don't i know we smoked through all of those on the show early on and i don't remember my thoughts on the 2009 but um i can almost guarantee that they were not as strong (laughs) whatever direction they went as what that opinion is that's uh, well i don't think you like those any of the years as much as i liked all of the years i think you're correct actually <laughs> <laughs> well that's uh, uh, i'll go I'll, I'll hit one more before we jump back to you and this is not a secret not a surprise and i'm not even going to say much about it other than it had been far too long but my friend jeff uh, back in Florida, sent some 858 Sungrowns back uh, for me. And holy crap, it been been so long since I'd had one. And I lit one up this week. And it was, oh, it was delightful. It was <laughs> pure freaking bliss. I love that cigar. Well, that's Still good, today, you know, 15 years 15 years after these things started hitting the market and far more prevalent, far more available today than ever before. Uh, but man, I love that cigar. Well, I, uh, I, I think along those lines, that's a great cigar. What I will absolutely say is the 858 Sun Grown, without question, surprised the hell out of me the first time I had it. I did not expect that to be as... That was the first cigar we had on this show, wasn't it? Mm, no, I think... Didn't we smoke the Cuenca 5? When that's first? Uh, it might have been the Cuenca. You might be right, actually. Um, well, the 858 Sungrown, the first time that I had that, I was expecting it to not be a floral, citrusy tobacco-oriented, slightly crisp or sharp. I, I did not expect it to be borderline floral and, and light. It is just such a cigar that challenges you to 
take the cigar for what it is, not what your preconceived notions may have been. Uh, and I have always loved that about that stick. Great burn, great flavor, great just unique place that it's carved out in the industry. I, I really do like it. Different from a lot of the other 858s as well. Oh, absolutely. And in a much better way. Yeah. Cool. The only thing, the 858s have been available in five different wrappers in differing quantities. The natural, which is just like the other Cameroon-wrapped Chateau Fuentes. The Maduro, which has a Connecticut uh, broadleaf wrapper, which is very good. And for many years was the only regular production always available, 858, that I smoked. I smoked the daylights out of the Maduros. The Claro, which is a Candela, actually, uh, is less available not because of availability, but because not many people smoke Candela wrappers. And so retailers don't typically keep them on the was very limited for many years, but starting three or four years ago, suddenly became much more widely available to the point that now you can get them. If you shop around, you can get them just about any time. Um, and their pricing went from far above MSRP to close to normal uh, natural Maduro. And then there was the Rosado, which... I may have missed some, but to my knowledge, only can't hit the market one time somewhere around 2009-ish. And they were just delightful, but much, much milder than the others. They were kind of like a sun-grown light to me. They were very light. And so I, I liked them. They were they were good enough, but I would every time pick the sun-grown tops and, and all in that lineup. I uh, I would definitely do the same, though I, I have found a number of Rosado Fuentes that have surprised the hell out of me for how enjoyable they were. Having not ever had an 858 Rosado, I can't say that that one would apply, but... I, I love the Magnums, have that same Rosado wrapper. I, I really do, but for whatever reason, the 858 blend did not jive as well with the Rosado wrapper as some of the others for, for my tastes. Well, I, I have an absolute fondness for uh, Rosado Hemingway you have given me in the past. You did not love them. I absolutely did love them. thought they were phenomenal. But uh, those are those have gone the way of the Dodo, I imagine. But uh, they shocked the hell out of me. Well, I see you have added another to the list. Yep, I uh, I have that. That is a cigar we've smoked on this show, and well, a different size, and talked about in the past. Um, that would be the Illusion uh, manufactured Fum de Mor, uh in the Trepetit Corona size. So this is the uh, I didn't measure it, but it seemed very. Um, is this the Lagunitas? I think is what he calls that size. This was about a forty-two by four and three eighths, would be my guess. Yeah. Um, damn it, that cigar is perfect. That is my favorite in the line. 
Oh, my giddy aunt. It burned slow. It burned perfectly. And I just can't think of another mild cigar that I enjoy as much as that. And I made... Uh, uh, I made a pact with the devil that if those can somehow make their way into my humidor, I, I, I'll do most anything. I think those are that good, <laughs> real, real good for that to be just a production cigar. You can pick up for six bucks somewhere. Whoa. Yeah. They're four and a half by 42 Lagunas, Lagunitas, four and a half. Okay. I said four and three eighths. What's an eighth of an inch amongst yeah. friends. <laughs> Yep, I I love them. There's actually a pile of old cigar boxes that I'm getting rid of at, at my stairs at the moment, and that's one of the boxes. When we moved here, I bought a box of those to bring with me. They came in a box of fifty. Oh, I made my way made my way through that thing fairly quickly. Those are, uh, you know, they didn't smoke really quick either, for for what it was. I mean, it was an no. hour and fifteen minutes smoke. Yep. That's those mighty good. Those little ones and the Tatuaje, I don't even know how you say it, Veracu, Verusu, I don't know how you pronounce that word. The uh, little number four, which is four by 40. And when at the same time I bought those Lagunitas, I bought a box of those Tatuajes to, to move here. Love them. Love, love, love both of them. Hmm. I can. Uh... I can second that, my man. Oof. Yowza. Well, you've got an interesting one on here that I don't know. You want to uh, You want to share it? I do. Uh, and I have not yet jumped in and investigated this particular cigar as much as I should, but I will because it was, it was that good. Um, at the show last year, I was chatting with the uh, Ezra Zion guys, and they took me over and introduced me to a gentleman whose name is at this moment escaping me, uh, the Evil Genius Cigars. And the guy handed me a couple th- to try, and I just got around to it recently, and it's the Evil Genius Black Chapel. There also was a White Chapel. I strongly preferred the Black chapel uh, for no particular reason other than it just lined up with what I like in a cigar. And it was the very straightforward, typical Nicaraguan spice kind of thing uh, in the vein of Pepin or Casa Fernandez, although not coarse maybe on the throat that, that may bother you. Uh, <laughs> bother you, Craig, you. <laughs> I, I shook my head. I got it. <laughs> I really enjoyed it. It, it did not uh, change my life forever. It didn't stand me on my head, but it was a very good cigar. And it was good enough that I made a note to go back and dig around and see, you know, I, I don't believe evil genius has their own factory or anything like that. I'm certain somebody is making them for them. I don't know the story, uh, but I want to know because I would, I would like to, to buy some, some of those cigars. Hmm. I know nothing about Evil Genius. Same here. I mean, those guys took me and introduced me to the guy just because they appreciated his cigars and thought they were good and thought I should try them. And they were right. Hmm. Well, I uh, I like hearing about 
I don't know, diamonds in the rough. Can can I call it a diamond in the rough? Is it that uh, yeah uh, underappreciated of a cigar that that it qualifies? Yeah, I, I think it, it. I don't know underappreciated by those who smoked it. I think there haven't been a whole ton of people that have smoked it. I don't think it has the name recognition maybe that has brought it into prominence in the market, at least not yet. Well, I, uh, I'm glad to hear that you found one. See, good on you, mate. You got a, uh, something fancy here to talk about. Yeah. Well, it, as you said, it's been six and a half years since our last, uh, official recording. So I <laughs> can tally up, uh, just about what I've had. That's been spectacular. Um, I, was invited very uh, kindly to Mike Stewart mentioned number two on the podcast uh, to Mike Stewart's cigars and sushi summer party that he has annually um, where he uh, makes just about the best dang plate of sushi uh, plate table uh, tables worth of sushi that you can ever try. Um, and uh, gets a bunch of guys together to eat that and smoke cigars and have a couple libations and laugh and chat and just have a whole heck of a good time. So uh, that was just at the beginning of the month, so about four weeks ago. Actually, it might be exactly four weeks ago now. And uh, knowing it was going to be a special night and I was going to gorge on rice and fish, I decided to bring a cigar that I thought was going to be strong and last a while and uh so i lit up the fuente fuente opus x destino al siglo in the roughly churchill vitola um boy oh boy was i surprised with what i found in that this cigar it could not have been an opus x i i i think there was nothing that this shared in common with an opus um, that I could put my hands on or could put my finger on. I, I thought that it was mild, should I say? Um, it was not the raisiny sweetness that you can sometimes pull out uh, from a, a, an opus with some age. It had other flavors completely altogether that were shocking. Um, very enjoyable, very, uh, how shall I say, um, refreshing. Without it being a mild cigar in terms of uh, how you would describe a certain flavor profile, it was it was a cigar that almost had like a uh, a lemon um, sorbet sense to it. We smoked for our 100th episode, I believe, the 10-year-old, 11-year-old, maybe, um, Opus X Double Coronas, the Chateau Reserva, uh, Reserva de Chateau. Um, Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was a 2005 version of that cigar. It was more akin to that than any other Opus I had had, where there was just this slight almost effervescence and citrusy lemony more than citrus than the typical manner um, palate cleansing, but it wasn't a cigar that tasted like lemon 
shall I say. It was just so clean and so rich and uh, really an enjoyable stick that was just totally different than I had ever had from Fuente. Um, I loved it and am very, very pleased that the entire smoking experience I had uh, was not overly strong at all nicotine-wise, but man, oh man, was it uh, was it an enjoyable one flavor-wise. Great cigar. Cool. It's hard yes. telling what it was. The uh, Destino Al Siglo was evolved over time where it was originally it was a cigar and that band started showing up on a lot of other cigars. So I'm not sure anybody outside of Carlito knows what all these various things are that carry that moniker now. Well, this absolutely had the traditional Opus X band on it. So I, I don't know for certain if um, the Opus X band was still used on some of their, shall I call them prototype cigars or one-off cigars. Uh, and then I know that Destino band, the supplemental Destino band, um, was put on a lot of those one-offs, but I thought that it had a separate Opus reminiscent main band or primary band, but definitely, definitely not the original Opus Opus band, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there was a time that they put this out too, and it was merely a cigar that had fancy bands that just meant nothing on it. I, I don't know, but uh, it was very, very good. Yeah, Carlino, as you like said. like a game of three-card money trying to decipher what Fuente Cigar you're smoking. <laughs> uh, well, either way, it was uh, mighty enjoyable and a great accompaniment to a fun evening. Cool. I like it. Well, shall we... Uh, I am down to the last inch and a quarter of this Neanderthal, and it occurs to me that we mm-hmm. haven't given too much thought to... Uh, supplemental tasting notes. Do we want to uh, kind of finish off both these cigars here before we yeah, close I on had, down? I had actually put mine down because I was in danger of burning a ring out of my mustache. <laughs> and that speaks to, I actually have enjoyed this cigar quite a bit. The uh, Psycho 7 Maduro. But also what it says more about it is this little cigar, which I just kind of started toasting again. I'll puff a few more times. In recent weeks, I have not smoked very many cigars in their entirety in one sitting. I'll come back later or whatever. I, I think I mentioned this the last time we were doing the hangout with the other guys that my constitution's been off or something. Uh, cigars have just been wearing me out that I <laughs> normally could smoke three back to back. And now they're, you know, I'll get halfway through one. I got to put it down. This has been a very mild cigar, but still flavorful. And and it's not the cigar for the guy who says, I like my cigars to transition to this and to that and to change 80, 11 times throughout its four-inch length. It's very uh, a very narrow band of flavors throughout. It stayed consistent throughout. It was very much the same. And I don't say that to be negative because I happen to really enjoy that that sweetness, that cedary sweetness I talked about earlier, that remained the dominant uh, flavor palette, flavor range throughout. And I like it. I also like that 
it had a good amount of flavor without an overpowering amount of strength, which is something I see a lot in the market in recent years where people seem to blend a strong cigar and then figure out how to make the flavor tolerable. I don't care for that at all. I will smoke a stronger cigar if the flavor, you know, calls for it, but I'm not the guy that looks for the strongest thing he can find. I can appreciate the flavor much more than the strength. And, uh, Again, the construction has been flawless. I mean, you can see I got five-eighths of an inch maybe left of this cigar. It's been good. <clears throat> it's been better than I expected, I have to admit. And it's good enough that I, I, I'm not going to kill myself trying to find a retailer that's got them so I can buy all of his stock up. But should I come across them, I absolutely would buy you know five five of them. Um, maybe even a few more. It's something I would reach for purposefully, but not something I would kill myself to get. Well, I <clears throat> would say um, <sighs> what, how do I put this? I would say that the Neanderthal did not force its way into my smoking regimen. Um, what it did do was make an impression upon me, which was good enough to where I now know that this is one of those cigars that if I'm going to a shop and I want to have a cigar there and I see this, this rapidly jumps to the top of the list of what I will purchase to know I can, I can experience a cigar that is just what the doctor ordered when you want a great cigar, perhaps pushing the envelope uh, a little bit in terms of what your regular preference would be, but will perform and give you exactly what you're hoping it will. Um, there's not a ton of cigars that I would put on that list. This has now become part of that list. It is terrific. Um, some of the prices I'm seeing put it outside the range of what I would want to pay for it. But just because I have other cigars that are of similar size that are less expensive that I enjoy, not because I don't think it's as good as something else. Quite the opposite. This is a great cigar that stands on its own that uh, I wish you would have had tonight, too, because there's no doubt in my mind you would have loved it. So great, great cigar. Romacraft Anthropology. Seek it. No, not Anthropology. No, uh, Neanderthal. Seek it Anthropology out. Anthropology is one of his Vitola names for the Corona Gorda, I think. Uh, thank you. Um, excellent, excellent cigar. Cool. <sighs> well, let's close her down, my man. It's been two hours. Okay. I have now a neighbor coming home and running their gate. He's making all the racket you hear in the background. <laughs> Actually, we don't hear very much whatsoever. Oh, I hear it. <laughs> well, as we wrap this up, thanks, uh, thanks as always for tuning in. Whether you are here with us tonight or listening somewhere down the road in the great wide open interwebs, um, if you come back next time and join us for episode one sixty-five, we'll be smoking the Oil de Monterrey Añejado. No. Hmm. I think I smoked 
some kind of anihado. I don't remember what it was. Ah. This is the only one I sent. No, from from here. Oh yes, you did. You did. You smoked um, the I believe the party is anihado. Okay, I, I don't recall. But anyway, so that's what we'll be smoking next time. But if you'd like to get a hold of us in the meantime, you can catch us by email to Craig at halfashed.com or Kip at halfashed.com. All your negative emails, to, of course, go to Craig. Uh, I'm not interested in those. <laughs> <laughs> and you can find us any of the normal social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or, as always, at the Half Ashed Forum over at halfashed.com. We'd love to have you join us. Well, and uh, you can send all those angry emails to me, and I will absolutely be more than happy to forward them to Kip. So he opens them when he sees they're from my email address, not some random one. So it'll work <laughs> out great. Don't worry about it. You can send them my way. And uh, just want to say thank you, everybody who is listening live, who's in the chat room, and who is downloading this at a later date and time. Uh, if it's in 30 years and it's 2047 and you're one of my kids listening to what his old man was like before he got older and crotchetier er uh, hi, how you doing, boys? But uh, <laughs> to anybody else, thank you for listening. So, as always, in the words of all of our favorite podcast hosts, Bob and Dale, I'll say good night, everybody, and thanks for listening. <laughs>